you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I will be reading through verse 7. But the area of concentration this morning will be between the verses 3 through 5. So let us give careful attention to the reading and, the, uh, reading and hearing of God's holy word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for bread sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power has been, has been guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while it is necessary that you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you and recognize that we stand on holy ground because you tell us in your word that Jesus Christ is walking among us, that your Holy Spirit is in us, and that your Holy Spirit was pleased to use the writers of Scripture to write exactly what he had given to them to write for the people of God throughout the ages. So Lord, we want to hear your voice that it rings out from the scriptures today, that we might hear it, that we might obey it, that we might love it with all of our heart, just as we seek to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh Lord, be with us today as we worship the living God. In his name we pray. Amen. I chose this particular text because I think it's something that the people of God really need to hear this time in history. It's perhaps something that has always needed to be heard, but I find myself living like you do in some difficult times. And as I look at the scriptures, I see time after time, there were periods of peace and prosperity and tranquility and other times of great disruption among the people of God. And I think particularly in the early church, I look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and you look there and you see how the Christians were suffering so tremendously there in the early church. Many of them were being publicly ridiculed because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them lost their income because they were fired from their jobs or others refused to do business with them. 
Some of them had their property confiscated, others were incarcerated, and some were martyred for the faith. A difficult time indeed. It's a difficult time in which Peter is living. We know a little bit about the Apostle Peter. We know that he denied our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he was reconciled with God because Jesus came to him and said, you know, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Three times, and, and Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. But still, it was a little bit later when the Holy Spirit came on, on the apostles at Pentecost that Peter was speaking so boldly. That day he preached, and 3,000 people came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter never changed after that. Why? The Holy Spirit was in him and on him and speaking through him. Peter writes to a time when Nero was overseeing the abuse of the people of God. And so Peter is writing and he's saying to us, in fact we said it, uh, we read it just a little bit later, but he's encouraging us because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, or Peter writing here, says that you have born, been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think of that dialogue that Nicodemus and, and Jesus had with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, probably one of the uh, members of the Sanhedrin came at night because he didn't want to be seen by any of the other people in his religious order. He didn't want to be seen by them. And so what does he do? He comes at night and he wants to talk to Jesus and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And what does Nicodemus say? Can I enter my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no. It's a spiritual change that must take place in your life. That old heart of stone must be replaced with a heart of flesh, a heart that pants after the living God. That mind that you have used wrongly in terms of leading people astray, teaching them things contrary to the Word of God, that must be changed. You must have a renewed mind so that your thinking is correct, that your thinking is in line with the Holy Spirit, your thinking is in line with the Bible, so that you can communicate the truth. You must be born again. And Peter is writing this particular letter before he is martyred himself. And history has it that he chose to be crucified upside down because he did not think that he was worthy to be crucified like his Savior. So he's writing this and he's preparing people for what is to come. And in a sense, that's what every pastor these days not all the time when they're preaching the Word of God, but they need and we need to prepare people 
to live in a fallen world and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, by their actions, by their words, and never turn their back or deny the Lord Jesus Christ because tough times may come. They may come in this generation and it may skip this generation. But as I look around the world, I see people being martyred all the time in Africa and in the Middle East and all over the world. It's tough for some Christians. Sometimes in the West, we've had it rather easy. We've lived a, a life that has been relatively comfortable. We live in pretty good homes. We drive reasonably good cars. We have what to eat most of the time. We enjoy those, and we should enjoy those things that God has provided for us, but we should not rely on those things that they will be with us all the time. Perhaps they won't. So Peter is saying to the people there in the first century, as they're being overwhelmed by Nero and the forces of Rome, that they need to be prepared. But he gives them this word, and he reminds them of their position. You have been born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. That's important. Jesus could have died, but if he didn't rise, it wouldn't be the same thing. He had to rise from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, it teaches us, as those who have been born again, that just as Jesus Christ rose, we too will rise one day when he comes again. If we're still alive, he will take us to glory with him. If we're dead, our bodies will be reconstituted and taken with him to live forever in his presence. Born again with a living hope through Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. I want to mention some of the things and the blessings that go to the people of God who are still alive in this world today. Because those blessings need to be heard and, they, and we need them to be reminded of our particular position in the kingdom of God. What does God say? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy and has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been born again. If you're here today, if you're born again, listen to this carefully. If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen to the gospel that Jesus Christ has come into the world, sent by his Father to die for the sins of his people. And therefore, the people are to repent of their sins, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If, that, if you have not done that today, today, if you hear his voice, respond accordingly. But for those who are born again, who are in this congregation today, listen to all the blessings that God has for you and for me and for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. We read in John chapter 1, to all who received him and believed on him, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of flesh, not born of blood, but born by God. Not only did he, does he say, does, Paul, does John mention that there, 
But I think of Ephesians chapter 1, and Paul gives us a litany of things that are ours because of being in Christ Jesus. That God has called us from before the foundations of the world. He's called the elect, those whose names are written in the book of life. He's not only called us, but he has justified us by the work of Christ. This one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So at the cross, Jesus takes the wrath that the Father sends upon him for our sins, and he takes his righteousness and places them upon those that have sinned and now have found forgiveness and reconciliation with the living God. So he has given us justification. There is now no condemnation to us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, no condemnation. We have been adopted into the family of God. Can you imagine? Adopted into the family of God, sons and daughters of the living God. It's absolutely amazing. It's astounding. We've been sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as the Word of God has been applied to us and the Holy Spirit as our teacher is teaching us to, to take that Word in, to, to, to dwell on it, to meditate upon it, to think about it, and then to live out our lives accordingly to the Holy Scriptures. We're sanctified. We're made holy. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been adopted. We have uh, forgiveness of our sins. We have eternal life. We have access to the living God 24-7. The throne of grace is open unto us. All of those blessings and even more come because Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. All of those things. Sanctification, adoption, forgiveness, our sins removed, eternal life in Jesus Christ. All of those things and more are the blessings that the Father through his Son has given to us. We're called sons and daughters of the living God. But those are marvelous blessings that God has given to us. But there's even more to come in the next life. And this is what I want to spend some time on this morning. We have a future inheritance. A future inheritance. We've been bought, begotten again. We've been adopted into the family of God. And Paul refers to us as heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, which means if we're an heir of Christ and co-heirs with Christ, that we have an inheritance. Some of you perhaps have received an inheritance before, and you didn't do anything to receive that inheritance. It was given to you, left for you, bequeathed to you. And the same thing happens to the believer we have an inheritance as well. In the Old Testament, God made that covenant with Abraham. And what did he say to Abraham? He gave them four things. I mentioned them a little bit earlier. Uh, but the one thing that he gave them was a land. A land that was flowing with milk 
and honey as described in Holy Scripture. Now, it was a land that they could not immediately enter into. In fact, it was a long period of time. They had to go through a, a, a fairly long period of time. They spent some plus 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They spent 40 years traveling around in the desert. And finally, the time had come God had raised Joshua up, and when the time had come, Joshua led the people of Israel through dry ground, through the Jordan River, into the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. You see, when God promises something, every promise that you find in Scripture, every one of those promises are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ and every one of them will come to fruition. It may not be in our time frame as we want them, but they will come. God's promises never fall to the ground. So he made a promise to them in the Old Testament, and he also makes a, a promise to us as well. And that promise is, is very very significant in terms of our inheritance. Our inheritance comes as a result of that covenant that God made with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that covenant included a number of things. It included the fact that God was our God, that God would be with us, that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that God would write the law of God on our hearts and on our minds. They're not on stone tablets anymore. They're on our hearts and they're in our minds so that we might take them in and live accordingly to his sovereign and holy will. He's told, he's told us there that we would receive eternal life, that we would enter into the new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and where the presence of the living God would be. And so a time will come we don't know exactly when that time is, but when the time of restitution of all things and when Jesus comes again a second time, when that occurs, those who are redeemed will enter into the new heavens and new earth, and they will not only enter there, but they will live in the presence of a sovereign and a holy and a triune God for eternity. For eternity. Not just a vacation, but in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son, and all those saints that have preceded us, and all those that are coming today, and all those that will come until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. What has he promised us? A new heaven and a new earth in the presence of the triune God. Always to see him, to talk with him, to bow down and to worship, to sing praises to his holy name forever and ever and ever. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you hear that? 
You know, I, I try to take care of my family. I do the, do the best I can. I, I love my children, my grandchildren. But God, God is going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us the things that we haven't even imagined. And, and I've imagined a lot of things, just as Paul imagined a lot of things. But all of those things are probably going to be minute in terms of the vast majority of things that are still coming the way of the people of God in the presence of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The things that he is going to do for us. We can't even imagine. But what he gives us, he gives us the ability to conceive of some of those things, not totally, but if you look at Revelation 21 and 22, and you don't need to turn to them now, but in Revelation 21 and 22, what we find is that we'll have a complete freedom from evil. Complete freedom from evil. We will have a complete freedom from evil that is both physical and moral. We will see that city of God, the New Jerusalem, that is described in Hebrews chapter 11 as that city of God that is the architect is God and the, build, and the builder is God. That new Zion, new Jerusalem, will come down in the new heavens and new earth, and that is the place that God has prepared for his people to worship and to live in close proximity with the living God. Can you imagine that? Freedom from evil. Freedom and, 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 a, and a new frame. A body. We'll be able to see him. We will be able to talk to Jesus. We will be made like Jesus Christ, the Apostle John declares in 1 John. All of those things to begin with, we can just imagine those things that are coming. But also we need to understand that we receive those in a gratuitous sort of manner. We haven't earned them, just as Israel did not earn the new uh, Canaan. They didn't earn them. God showed his love upon them and gave them a land. And God has shown uh, his love toward us and saving us and now preparing a place for us because at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were under the wrath of God. We were strangers to the covenant promises. We were without hope in this world, but God, who is rich in mercy and love, has made us alive in Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's all gratuitous. It's nothing that any of us have earned or ever will earn. All that is being done for us and in us and through us is because God is pleased for his children to represent him and he's pleased to give them all that they need for life and for godliness in preparation for the final appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. What he gives us is also secure, very secure. 
nothing incorruptible will be able to enter into the new heavens and new earth. The gold and silver that so many people aspire to attain in this world, all sorts of ads on TV, it's time to buy gold, it's time to buy silver, all those things are things that people want. They want to have that gold and that silver to kind of protect them against all the things that are happening in the world as if gold and silver can protect anyone. Totally. It can't. Not only gold and silver, but not meat and drink, not costly apparel or stately buildings or extensive estates. No, nothing corruptible will enter into the new heavens and new earth. What will be there is our conformity to the divine image. We will be made like Christ, holy, righteous, unable to sin anymore, conversing with the triune God, conversing with the saints that are there with us, all of those things enjoying the presence of the holy people of God. What he gives us also in the new heavens, the new earth, is undefiled. Here, the things that we often enjoy are defiled in some ways. Even some of those that we think are so pure and exalted, but when they're examined very closely, oftentimes things are wanting. They're not complete. They're not exactly right. Sometimes it's wrong because there's still that residue, that pollution of sin that is in us. And so we can't really enjoy all of it. It is not all pure. It is all not right. Some of it is defiled. But in heaven, there will be no defilement. We will have knowledge without error. We will have holiness without sin. We will have love without anything of maliciousness about it. We will have dignity without, without the excitement of or the excitement of pride that wells up within people. We will have possessions, but we'll have no covetousness over our possessions. Sometimes I still occasionally will see something that I wanted or I want. I'll tell you, and I've probably told this to some of you before, when I was young and just gotten out of the army, I saved my money and I bought a car that I always wanted. It was a Corvette. I saw a TV show with two guys riding around in a Corvette, and I thought, I really want a Corvette. I saved my money and I bought a Corvette, got married and had children, and I decided to get rid of the Corvette and keep my child. Of course, there wasn't room for a family in a Corvette, but I'm just kidding there. But, but anyway, I, I coveted that, that car. I wanted it, but I wanted my family more. I delighted in my family. I loved them. I would give my life, even to this day, in a moment for my family. That car, after two years, was gone. I was driving a 68 Volkswagen and a 71 Dodge Dart after that, and I was glad to have transportation. 
I love my family. That was gone and I didn't miss it. I would have missed my family though. Terribly. But that car, it's probably a trash heap right now. It was a 1970. But anyway, all of those things, no defilement in the new heavens and new earth. No unfading of our inheritance in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth. Everything that we have will be simply delightful. It will make us happy. In this world, our earthly possessions, they wither. We might have a glorious, beautiful home one day that we worked so hard for. It's ours. No, it's not really ours. It belongs to God. And one day, all the bricks will come rolling down and they won't be there anymore. It won't it'll be in a shambles one day. It won't mean anything to us. If we have that car that I had at one time, that won't be anything because it gave me a degree of satisfaction to begin with, but it didn't last. It wasn't worth keeping. Here we're, we're sated, we're, we're full, but never satisfied, hardly ever. But there, in the new heavens and new earth, we will be absolutely satisfied, never changing, satisfied completely with who we are in the presence of God, satisfied that our life is, is one of holiness, one of pure love, one of pure concern for others. All of those things will be ours, but they will be full. We will be satisfied. All the things that keep coming to us, we will never be sated. We'll never be satisfied in this world. But in heaven, we will be absolutely satisfied. Is this inheritance yours? If you're a Christian, you're an heir and a co-heir with Christ. And everything that I've said from the scriptures is true. So will this inheritance be yours? If you're in Christ, yes. But one of the things that is important for us to know that this is already being reserved for us in heaven. In fact, the verb in this, received or kept, is in the perfect tense, which in a sense indicates that what he, what God has promised us, he has kept in reserve in heaven for us to inherit one day. In a sense, everything that he has promised to give us, everything will be there. It will be beyond all violence and all fraud. In this world, people want to take things. They want to steal cars. They even want to steal your home. They want to steal money out of your bank account. They want to do all of these things. But that inheritance that is in heaven, it is secured. God will keep it. No one will take it from him. 
It is for us and for us only, those who are in Christ. But the one thing that we're reminded of, God not only keeps our inheritance for us, but this is really good. He keeps us for our inheritance. He keeps us. I love those passages of scripture in John chapter 10, that he holds us in his hands. Now my hands aren't very strong, but the hands of the almighty God, when he clasps us, he holds us. He will never let us go. And not only there, but in Romans chapter 8, that nothing in this world, neither death nor life, no powers, no principalities, any of those things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. And the 23rd Psalm, and the last part of it, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I know that our finite minds can't really get a grasp of that. It's a struggle. How long is forever? It is forever. There's no end date on it. There's no time when you pay off the mortgage or pay off your car. There's an end date on those sorts of things. But there's no end date on the promises of God. No end date. What is our response then? The response is what we're doing now. To worship. To worship God. To offer ourselves as a living and a holy sacrifice. Lord, I am yours. My mouth is yours. My feet are yours. My hands are yours. My arms are yours. My mind is yours. My wealth is yours. Everything we have belongs to you. Take it, Lord. It is all yours. We worship you in spirit and in truth. And we do the work that God's called us to do. In Ephesians, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do those good works that God has ordained for us to do. We're not called to just take up time and space. We're called to use our mind, our heart, our hands, our feet, all a part of our, our souls to go out and represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords throughout our days, as long as we have life and breath in our bodies. We're to worship, we're to work, we're to serve, we're to do all of those things, and we're to do them to the glory of God. I have one last thing. It's a quote. I actually used it Christmas Eve. So if you were here Christmas Eve, you heard it. But it has really meant a lot to me. And it comes from a hymn that Christina Rossetti sang, wrote. And it's this. 
What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. What can I give him? What can I give him? I can give him my heart. I can give him my heart. I can give him my heart. Will you give him your heart? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we have come to the end of this particular sermon. But Lord, it is a sermon that will be preached in us individually, and I trust corporately over time that we'll be reminded that we are yours, that we are all yours, that you have blessed us from eternity, and that you will bless us for all eternity. Oh Lord, we love you. We love you. And I trust, not only this day, but every day, that we would give you our heart. In Jesus' holy and majestic name, we pray. Amen.